episode of the Spirit of 2016 podcast. It's a very special episode. Um, I've got an interview today. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast by uh, Jason Browning, who's a member of the Northern Ireland Parchair Football Squad. He's also the RHFA Disability Access Officer, uh, amongst many other things. You've quite the CV, Jason. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I guess my first question is quite a, a general one. It's about yourself rather than the team and, and, and the sport at the moment. Because um, I'm interested to know a little bit more about um, kind of your own condition and how you got yourself involved in the um, in the in the sport of parchair football. Yeah, well, uh, thanks for having me on, Andy. I really appreciate it. Um, it's, it's, it's great to come on. And I'm really looking forward to talking about the sport and, and giving a bit of insight into, into, into the Northern Ireland setup as well. So, But yes, for me personally, um, my journey started when I was quite young. I'm, I'm in mid-20s now, but like I started my sort of football career, if you want to call it that, as a, as a, a young kid. I was part of some of the Irish FA's disability football programs um so it wasn't part of football honestly we didn't have that here when i when i first started being involved in those so i, I was involved in a various different little programs and different football clubs and it was like almost like a mix of people with different disabilities playing together on the one court or the one pitch which was mayhem as you can imagine but um but it was good. It was good fun, and it gave me a, an insight as to you know that there's opportunities out there for me as a disabled person to play football. You know, I've as a kid, I've grown up loving football, loving sport in general, and you know, watching whether it be local Irish league football or Premier League, I never thought I'd have the, the chance to play football in any sort of capacity. So to have that start was great, and it gave me a good introduction to team sports and the football in general. Um, as that progressed, I would say it was about 2010, 2011, I was invited to come along to this new thing, which was hardchair football. So I, I joined the first club for that, and I was part of that for a while. And we sort of built up slowly with different bits of equipment and different, um, different venues and trying to get people involved in the sport to begin with. Um, it was a it was an interesting time because you know back then it was such a new thing, and it was obviously really exciting for me to say okay there's actually a form of football as a wheelchair user for me that I can play, um, but you know it still wasn't fully structured and organised yet it was still we were still in the infancy of it so as things progressed we got involved in a league we started getting better equipment and stuff like that and. We started winning things as a team as well. I was with the Belfast team, which was the first team uh, that was formed. And then I would say a few years after that, I, I broke off from that team and was involved in starting my own team, which is the team that I coach and play for now. Uh, but we're based in Lisburn. Um, and we have been since we were formed. Uh, yeah, so I, I play for that team now, which is called Lightning. Lightning Parcher Football Club. Um, as I say, I play and coach. I've got coaching badges as well, which again, I didn't think as a, a disabled wheelchair user that I would be able to have mainstream, you know, the running game football coaching badges at a UEFA level, mm-hmm. which again, to have that opportunity, which was supported well by the RHFA too, um, was, a, was a great thing for me. Uh, it shows that there's those opportunities there for disabled people. 
uh, in sport and in football, which maybe in the past may, may not have been there. Um, so, yeah, and that also then leads on to what I do now and professionally, which is, as you mentioned at the start, I'm the disability access officer for for the, the Irish FA. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically my role within that is to support disabled fans uh, at Northern Ireland Games, whether that be the men's senior games, women's games, and that could be anything from any issues or any support that they need, or it could be things like tickets and stuff like that. So that's essentially what, in a nutshell, what my role is there. And that has culminated from that start that I had, you know, I've been involved with the RHFA and disability football from a young age. And that journey has sort of culminated in me now working in football as well as playing football. So, you know, that's a snapshot of me, I guess. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question, but... Absolutely, yeah, and it's amazing that you've been able to do that. I think for for many of our listeners, and certainly for myself, it's it's an absolute dream to to to, to turn football from a hobby into an actual professional working job one day. And for you to do it with with the challenges you've uh, you've you've sort of come through in life is just is just so impressive, mate. So like, I'm really keen to to get into a, a little bit more about that. But there's something you mentioned there, which I'm interested in. You said when you were growing up, obviously. Uh, there wasn't the power chair team that came in in around uh, 2010. I think you said there were there were some other um, forms of of disability football around in in Northern Ireland. How much was there around for you at the time? Like say when you're growing up as a kid, like were you sort of just resigned to the idea that you could never play football, and then this all kind of came up as as you were growing up, or how was that sort of sort of journey for you? Or was there always something there, maybe not power chair football, that you thought I can I can do and be involved in sport, if not football someday? Well, it was interesting you mentioned that because as a as a kid, you know, the, those opportunities were there for people like me, but not necessarily for me specifically. Mm-hmm. For example, I, I have cerebral palsy. That's my, my, my main disability. It's a, I don't know if you know anything about it, but it's a, basically a neurological disability which impairs your ability to, to move and to use your limbs effectively. Mm-hmm. So the range of of sort of, disability within that is huge you know you could have someone with cerebral palsy who you wouldn't notice has cerebral palsy and then you would have someone else who has the same disability but the grade of it is much higher so you maybe a wheelchair user or whatever and it's you know at least visibly much more noticeable mm-hmm. so for myself I, I was more on the spectrum of you know, permanent wheelchair user so as I mentioned earlier with the cerebral palsy squad that, that there is a pathway there if you have cerebral palsy to play international football. And I think it's seven aside that they play on a grass pitch. Okay. Um, now, unfortunately, because of my disability, I wasn't able to, to, to do that effectively. And because I can't, you know, as I say, I can't walk, I'm a permanent wheelchair user. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there, there was pathways for others who do have the ability to be ambulant to play cerebral palsy football for example so there was pathways there mm-hmm. uh, as a kid growing up but not for me personally okay. um so the, the part of football was the the gateway to a, a sort of specific sport that i could actually participate in um in terms of the in terms of the less structured mix of disabilities that sort of team i did have did have that as well which i uh was with for a few years it's it's called a pan-disability football team. So it's basically a, a football team that comes together to train and to play matches against other pan-disability teams. And you could have 
uh, wheelchair users. You could have people on crutches. You could have amputees. You could have people with uh, learning difficulties and learning disabilities all playing together on the one court, which, um, like I said earlier, it could be mayhem at times, but um, it was good fun. And it gave me a, at least a bit of hope that there was something there for me eventually. And obviously, as I said, that branched off into the specific sort of part of football, wheelchair football side of things, mm-hmm. which was ideal for me as a, as a permanent wheelchair user. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that's, that's essentially how it happened really in terms of got, got involved in those programs initially and then got invited to, to play part-time football when that was set up in 2010-2011. Really? Yeah, I mean, that was actually my next question there um, that, that I had written down. You've you, you pretty much answered it in the sense that it's it's not just exclusively cerebral palsy then in the part-time team. It can be yeah. sort of any range of any range of disabilities across that. And what is the criteria for um, kind of being eligible to play in, in that team then? Um, if that well, makes sense uh, as a question, sort of. Well, it's, it depends on what level you're talking about. If you're talking about a participation level, mm-hmm. we, at our clubs, for example, we'll welcome pretty much anyone with a physical disability who can't play your typical cerebral palsy football or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Okay. So we'll be open for that. As you move up the, up the competitive ladder towards elite standards, so international standards, and stuff and European competitions and stuff like that. Similar to some Paralympic sports, there's a classification system, and that, that comes in to sort of show the more capable and less capable uh, players in terms of their what their, how their disability impairs them. So that sort of it, it doesn't limit people to play, but it sort of it tries to classify the different types of disabilities and, and the different types of impairments that, yeah. that some players will have and to make sure that everything that's happening on court is as fair as possible in terms of the different disabilities that people have but as you, as you mentioned you know I have cerebral palsy but there are other players who maybe have spina bifida or have different types of muscular dystrophy as well mm-hmm. so that, that there are many different types of disabilities that can play uh, parts of football um, but again, once you get to the higher levels, you'll be sort of put into different categories depending on your classification within that. So th- there's opportunities no matter whether you play at elite level or or participation level. Okay, right. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, apologies if this is a really stupid question, by the way, it was just as, as you were mentioning, there's kind of the um, the idea of the different things in the and uh, the different sports in the, in the Paralympics is is power chair football is that a is that a current Paralympic sport or is that something you're aiming for in the future or is that something that, that's possible uh, in the future? I, I think in terms of a in terms of a world level, there's a government body for power chair football called FIFA, which is basically the FIFA equivalent of power chair football, mm-hmm. and there's also a European body which is the equivalent of UEFA mm-hmm. um, for power chair football, and they have been pushing for Parcher football to be a Paralympic sport. It's not at the moment, okay. but it's it's a hope of mine and many other athletes that that can be a goal in future because I think that's, an, a, that's a logical step for the sport to yeah. go next in terms of that global exposure, global events where athletes can represent their countries, not just in World Cups and in European Championships and things like that, but at a level the same as the other Paralympic athletes, which I think for our sport, it's it's quite different in terms of, it's a, because of the way it's set up, it's a very level playing field when it comes to the physical side of things. 
because we're using power chairs and stuff like that. So the skill of the athlete actually comes out more in, in our sport than some, maybe some other sports because yeah. it relies on your ability to think. It relies on your ability to understand the game and your skills actually with the chair. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, again, I could be playing with or against people who have different disabilities or who have less of a disability than I do or more severe disability than I do and they could be as good as I am. You know, and that's that, that's the, the, the positive nature of our sport is that no matter how no matter how your disability impacts you, you can still play at a level that someone else can who may have a different disability to you. It's not all Paralympic sports and not all disability sports can offer that. So I think that's a unique thing about our sport, which hopefully in future, when you know when we're trying to push the sport towards Paralympic recognition, I, I think it's important that that's recognised as well. That it's such a it's such a such a unique and such a, a variety of disabilities involved. Um, I think it's a great opportunity to to showcase those athletes' abilities, no matter what their own challenges are, personally. So, yes, the, the, the Paralympic question for parts of football is a thing that we would like as a, as a country and as a sport across the world. I think we would like to have that. At the moment, we don't, unfortunately, but I think in the future, it's something that the sport will try and push um, because there's only positives from that, really, in my opinion. Yeah, it's interesting what you're saying there about the um would that that would be the next sort of logical step, and I guess like you could just sort of keep on uh, ticking off boxes for yourself as well. You know, played in the European Championships, played for your country, played in the World Cup, and then hopefully one day um play in the Paralympics as well. And and I was thinking about that actually when I was doing my research earlier on what you were saying about kind of um matter sort of how severe the, the disability is it's kind of a level playing field because you're using the power chairs it's not like uh, as much sort of a physical thing it's 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 much more skillful and i imagine it's uh, and you can maybe answer this as well i haven't done your coaching badges i can imagine it, it gets very tactical at times you know i was i was watching um some highlights earlier on um from the england team um and i'd imagine there's there's plenty of analysis you can do in different teams and different avenues where you can and um, it's not like normal football where you know, you can you know, there's you can kind of put the ball in the air over the top and and bypass press and stuff. It's very sort of tactical in in that way, and it's it's obviously mixed teams as well, isn't it? I saw the um one of the girls, I think it was Ellie, um who who was um who was interviewed on the BT Sport documentary, which we'll come on to talk about as well. Um, I think she plays in the team as well. And um, what what what's that kind of been like for for getting women involved and and, and girls involved in the uh, in the power chair team then because as much as it is mixed it is still sort of across the board not just in Northern Ireland it's probably male dominated I would say just maybe because football um and on a societal level is 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 that a fair assumption? Yeah, well, in terms of the sport and the, the sort of tactical side of it, yes, it is. It is quite intense tactically. There's quite a lot to 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 know and to think about and to learn. And me as a player that's been playing for a number of years. I'm still learning things now. You know, I'm still learning things as a player and a coach in terms of how we can look at the game differently. Mm-hmm. Um, as you may have seen, it's been it's played indoors on a basketball court. So even within that environment, there are some comparisons you can make for, through football, of course, because it's a football-based sport. But there's also comparisons you can make tactically to things like basketball, for example, mm-hmm. and other sports like that. So there's a lot of as you go into the higher levels of the sport, there's a lot of quite in-depth little things that you can do, tweak and change 
to, to have a huge impact on how your team plays. Um, to the naked eye, that mightn't be as obvious straight away, especially if you you know if you haven't you know seen a lot of the sport. But yes, it's it's quite intense, and quite in depth tactically. Um, and in terms of the makeup of the teams, as you mentioned, yes, the the sport is a mixed sport, so we will have males and females playing together on the one court at the one time. Um, you know, and for me, that's another unique factor about our sport as well, is that there isn't that sort of that cutoff between males and females playing together. And there's also, as well as the gender side of it, there's also, there's no, apart from it, there's a minimum age for international competition, but there's no, there's no maximum age. So, for example, I could be playing against someone who's, a, a girl who's younger than me, or a guy who's much older than me, mm-hmm. you know, and that's another unique factor as well in terms of because there's no, well, because there's a limit in terms of the, the physicality of the actual sport, mm-hmm. it gives opportunities to people or to disabled people, no matter what age or gender or the background that you have, you know, it, it doesn't, that doesn't matter. That doesn't come into it. It's all about the equipment and the, the, the ability of that player to use the equipment. And for me, I think it's a positive step that we could make across the UK and across the world of parcher football to have more more women playing the sport, more girls playing the sport. I think it would be a great thing. Uh, like like you mentioned, we have Ali, who's one of our, our star goalkeepers, um, and she actually plays from from my club as well. So it's a it's a real point of pride for for me to to see her being thrust into the spotlight and to see her doing so well. I think it's a it's a great thing for young girls, especially young disabled girls, to see that there's a pathway for you to play football too. Um, and I think the likes of Valley is a, is a real trailblazer for that, you know. Um, and I think it's it's important that we keep to try and push that envelope more to get more girls involved because yeah, I think there is an I think even even though it's a mixed sport, there still is a male dominated aspect to to our sport i think with the nature of it being football mm-hmm. it's just it seems to be the way it goes but i think it's our responsibility as an association and as players coaches to actually push that further and to try and get more girls involved because that can only be a positive thing especially with the way it's so integrated because uh, it's a mixed sport and again in terms of, like physical physical differences and stuff between males and females doesn't come into it mm-hmm really because of the equipment and because of the way the sport's set up. So, you know, I think that's a positive step that we can really do in the future. And it's great to see the likes of Valley, as, as I mentioned, you know, doing so well for the for the development team and stuff. And, you know, she's been with my club from when she was, I don't know, about eight maybe. Mm-hmm. And she's played league football from not long after that, up until now. And she, she's, you know, she's 13 13, 14 now. So, you know, it's it's a really positive thing to see players coming in early, whether they're male or female, coming in early and experiencing this sport and having those opportunities and, you know, growing with it as it comes. Because, like I said, I'm in my mid-20s. I, I had to start playing this sport when I was LA's age now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, 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 it's such a huge opportunity for kids coming through now to have that opportunity at a younger age that I like myself I, I didn't have 
you know. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys are doing a fantastic job. And there's only really so much you can do when, as you say, it, it is such, it is so ingrained in our, our minds and in society that football is is male dominated, and obviously the society as a whole and the um, kind of FIFA and UEFA are, are are doing quite are making quite good steps to to get women involved and promoting the women's game. We're seeing that coming through, yeah, and, and that that will obviously transmit. Um, and go through to the the, the power chair side and other other disabled sports, uh, other disability sports as well. Um, yep. I would say I, I need to be really careful here because I, I had about ten questions written down, and then your answer to the first one, I thought about four or five questions to that, and just rattled them off. So I'm really like coming on to the second or third. So I might yeah, have to pick no and problem. choose. I might have to pick and choose as a um as a, as I go on here. But um, you, you've done a little bit about the, the history of the game, the history of the game in Northern Ireland. So I want to get a little bit more into the game itself, and um, I'm not going to ask you obviously to to literally go through uh, the rule book of uh, of parchair football all the um all the kind of articles 3.1 3.2 all yeah, that yeah, the, the 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 nature of the game it's the the aim of the game is 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 pretty much very similar to well it's pretty much football in, in itself um but I'm interested in, in some of the rules. Maybe you could take me through some of the, the little different quirks and especially like tackling. How's, how does that kind of work? And you know, we were joking a little bit before the podcast. We'll come on to, uh, to talk about the Home Nations tournament you guys have uh, next week. And I was I was sort of thinking about, you know, smashing the, um, some of the Home Nations early doors, letting them know you're there. Is, is, that, is that kind of thing? How, how does that work? And, um, you know, any, any sort of quirks or differences to, 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 to um, you know, Normal football. I don't, I don't want to, you know, use. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. You, you know what I'm trying to say. Is, um, yeah. Any differences between that and the 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 general game? Um, you, you can maybe explain those to me there. Yeah, well, some of the biggest, the most obvious differences would be first of all that we're exclusively indoors. So, in comparison to the Roman game or to mainstream football, mm-hmm. um, obviously that's one of the biggest, and most obvious differences. Uh, on top of that, you have we have four aside on a basketball-sized court, so you would have a, a designated goalkeeper as such who can play out if necessary, but a, a designated goalkeeper, and then three outfield players alongside that. Um, so that would be eight players on the court at any one time in total. Um, so those those are the first most you know blatantly obvious differences. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no things like no offsides and stuff like that. There's, okay. there's none of that. Um, a lot of the similarities, in, in my mind at least, are similar to futsal, if you've ever seen futsal, because yeah. obviously it's played indoors as well. And there's there's some similarities in terms of the way play is restarted and stuff, which is quite similar to the likes of futsal. Um, but some of the main quirks that you mentioned in terms of whether it be you know engaging with opponents and stuff like that would be for example, as I said, there's four players on either side. So you're only technically allowed to compete for the ball one-on-one. Okay. So at any one time on the pitch, there's almost an imaginary three-meter zone around the ball. Okay. And if, say, for example, you have myself and an opposition player coming in for the ball, mm-hmm. uh, if another player from my team comes within three meters of that action, that's an automatic indirect free kick to the to the opposition team. That's called the two-on-one rule. Okay. So that basically means that, as I say, it, it tries to employ a one-on-one tackling uh, yeah. situation. No gag and pressing, basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No gag and pressing, and no, <laughs> you know, you don't want it. You don't want it to turn into a rugby scrum. That's yeah, essentially what. That's essentially what it tries to stop and tries to allow the game to flow and to keep the ball moving. Um. 
Yeah, because I think when the sport was in its sort of infancy uh, across the world, I think before something like this was brought in, it was almost like a almost like a rugby scrum, yeah, or, you like know, free for all. Yeah, yeah, players just piling into the ball and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and the other one would be the other main sort of difference would be uh, a law that's called the three in the box law. So at any one time, the opposite, the attacking team can have as many players in their penalty area as they like, as long as, as, long as they're separated by three metres. But the defensive side can only have uh, two players defending at any one time inside the penalty box. So usually, typically, that would be uh, the goalkeeper and the and a one of the three outfield players mm-hmm. that would be defending or patrolling the penalty box. And um, I think for me, the purpose of that again is to encourage space and to encourage attack and play and to encourage goals as well. Um, to make it a little bit harder for you know essentially for the defensive team to park four chairs across the across the goal line and, and just sit there, yeah. you know. <laughs> so um, because I mean, I can guarantee you, if if a team needed a result and they were able to do that, <laughs> yeah, it, it would be done. It would be done, you know. Quite but, literally, parking the parking the power chair, I guess. It would, <laughs> the tactic yeah, would be called, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's essentially there to stop that sort of action. Um, it can make it quite interesting from both an attacking and defensive side because obviously that opens up the court space wise for the attacking team in possession, but out of possession, it means that. There's a lot of work that has to be done off the ball for those three outfielders to sort of work together to close down spaces. Yeah. So, you know, um, it's it's an important rule, and I think the sport would be very different if it didn't have something like that, as well as the, the two on one attack on rules as well. Um, on top of that, I'm trying to think of anything else that stands out. Um, I don't think so. I think that's mostly mostly the quirky, the quirkiest ones. Mm-hmm. Other than that, the the court itself, as I said, is a basketball court, so it's roughly a basketball court size. The the nets themselves are six meters wide, and they normally have like they don't have a crossbar and things like that because yeah. the ball isn't supposed to be raised. I think it's like two or three meters off the ground. Mm-hmm. Or no, no, hold on, it's thirty centimeters off the ground. I think it is. Yeah. So, um, so there's no crossbar and like that. You know, you can't chip the ball up and lob the keeper and things like that. You know, because <laughs> Um, the balls themselves are 33 centimeters in diameter mm-hmm. on, on average. So, as you can imagine, when they're fully pumped up, you know, with with air and pressurized, you, you can imagine trying to head something that size. It would be uh, you you take a you take a head off yourself. Yeah, yeah. You know, so uh, the, the ball's supposed to stay you know as close to the ground as humanly possible. Um, when it does raise up uh, above above the the designated height. There is a situation similar to like a drop ball in in, in this mainstream game. Um, it's called a set ball. So basically, they have put the ball down on the court, roughly where the ball raised up, uh, and then two players, uh, or so one player from one team, one player from the other team, uh, face off, almost like the ice hockey, mm-hmm. um, face off a meter apart, and then try and compete for the ball once the whistle goes. So it's it's similar. It's like a partner equivalent to a drop ball situation yeah. um, other than that uh, there's some other little quirks in terms of the goalkeeper for example um, when they're in their own penalty box 
they're immune from the two-on-one rule that I talked about earlier. So, right. for example, they can, if you can imagine, they can join up with the other right field player defending mm-hmm. to close gaps in the actual net itself. But once they, once the whole of their chair leaves the penalty area, they become an active outfield player. So they're now responsible for the two-on-one rules as well. Yeah. So little quirks like that and stuff. So there's other things as well in terms of certain distances that you have to be away from the ball when, when kick-ins, which are throw-ins, but the power yeah. chair equivalent, and uh, free kicks and stuff like that. There's other little quirks. And then the only other thing would be that I can think of is when you're making a challenge to an opponent, you, you're only allowed to use a certain part of the chair to actually make contact with. So, for example, you've seen the chairs, right? So you've seen mm-hmm. the way they have like a a metal guard on the front. Yeah. And we use that to move the ball around, but we also use that to engage with the opponents. So, but we're only allowed to make contact, guard on guard contact. You know, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 I can't, I can't, if you're in a chair, I can't come up behind you and ram you in the side, you yeah. know, because that, that's a foul. Um, okay. But if, if we make, if we make sort of accidental contact while we're competing for a ball, you know, that's generally okay. Okay. Um, but I mean, you can still make guard on guard contact, but if it's deemed, you know, overly, overly excessive, then yeah. you'll get a free kick. And there's, there's stuff like there's reds and yellows and stuff too from the referees. Like you mm-hmm. can get back and sent off and stuff. And What's your disciplinary record like, Jason? Um, throughout my career, I haven't actually been sent off. Okay. Competitive fixture, but mm-hmm. I have in preseason friendlies and stuff. Right. Uh, okay. So I don't know if that counts towards your competitive record or not. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's. I think it. There isn't a lot usually. There isn't a lot of cards usually because most of the players sort of know the amount of contact that they're allowed to give. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're allowed. They're allowed so much, and they know where they can sort of push the envelope a bit and stuff like that. You know, players the same as the same as mainstream football. You know, players that are savvy, they're able to, you know, they're able to know what they can do and what they can't do. You yeah. know. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Other than that. Uh, yeah, that's a basic snapshot of how the sport really works. Um, I don't think there's anything else that I've missed, but yeah, there's no like offsides and stuff like that. There's, there's none of that sort of stuff. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's it's in terms of the sport, it's a great spectator sport as well. You know, if you've never seen it before, anyone that's listening has never seen it before, mm-hmm. I would highly encourage you to look it up on YouTube and stuff because. It's it's fascinating to watch, especially if you haven't seen it before, because it just it looks it looks familiar in a sense because it's football, but it also looks very different. Um, yeah. And when you get some of the best teams playing against each other, it can be really fascinating to see how hard the ball can be hit and different types of set pieces and moves. So it's 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 really really good, and I would encourage anyone to, who's interested to to take a look at it. Absolutely, yeah, and um, it, it, I just to echo what you said there. I've, I was watching some highlights earlier on. I, I've seen sort of clips from from your own social media channels as, as well, and from yep. the IFA, and it is a fascinating watch. And I'm really looking forward to, to tuning into the uh, the Home Nations tournament next week, and and hopefully the World Cup uh, as we'll come on to talk about, which we've qualified for. But just a little bit more on on yourself as a part share player as well. Like, what what type of a player are you, or are there even sort of different types of players in part share football? Because what you're mentioning there is kind of like um, three outfield players. So obviously you've got your goalkeeper, but three outfield players, you kind of 
you know, have to be sort of all over the place and a little bit of an all-rounder, if that makes sense. At, from That's the perspective I get on it. Um, but like in terms of positions and formations, does that really come into it at all? Or is it kind of just, you know, the, the rules and the size of the court make it that you can, you're kind of all over the place? And, um, and, and, and I guess, you know, there, there's a structure to it, but you could find yourself at the back in one minute and it's kind of up front scoring a goal the next or, you know, is there like are there like goal scorers or does everyone kind of have to be good at everything if that makes sense yeah well obviously like like any any sport each player has their own strengths yeah so they will generally play in the positions that suit those strengths or suit suit the the setup of the team within within the sort of classification laws you know as long as you're eligible within those then the team will be set up in such a way that suits the strengths of each individual. And yes, there is there is differences between players. Um, some players will be more suited to playing in that sort of almost like a 6-8 a pivot role in the midfield and uh, the central position. Other players will be suited to be playing in wider positions on the court. Uh, and obviously the, the goalkeeper is quite a specialist position as well. Yeah. So there'll be other players that are best suited for that. Um, in terms of myself and in terms of the sport, I, I've, through some point in my career, played in every position. So I like to think that I'm at least adept at each position. Yep. Whether, whether I'm strong in each position is up for debate, of course, but um, I, I like to think that I'm capable of every position. And for me as a coach, that's what I want from my players as well. I want my players to be able to, to at least in a pinch, be able to fill in each position, be able to play each role effectively, because for me that's how the team should work. Especially with you've only got four players on the court in your team, so every player needs at some stage to fill in someone else's role. As the, as the play goes on, as players rotate around the pitch, you know you need players that understand each role at least. Uh, so for me, it's important to have players that yes might have specialist positions or have specialist roles, or have specific things that they're good at. And of course, as a team, you want to try and exploit those things that they're good at. But it's important for me to have a well-rounded team that is able to play in each position. So you could be playing, I don't know, you could be you could be a great left wing, for example. But if you can't play as a goalkeeper, if you don't know how to play as a goalkeeper, that's a weakness for your team, you know? Yeah. So for me, I think... It's important for every part of player to at least have some experience playing in each role so that if it comes to it, you're able to fill in, you're able to help out, you're able to perform effectively and not, you know, sacrifice the, the shape of the team just because you don't know a certain role or a certain responsibility. And typically, there's a, as I said, there's a designated keeper who can play out if necessary. Um, there's a also like a central pivot who will try and like distribute the ball and then there's two wingers who will track up and down the, the wings essentially and um, to try and cover as much of that those areas of the pitch as possible there are different tactics as well like there's some teams that will play with their keeper high up the pitch almost like a, a gig and pressing style system yeah. where they'll have the centre and they get the, the goalkeeper working together in the centre of the pitch and then they'll push the two wingers right up the court. Okay. So, you know, there's different ways you can set the team up. Um, and it's, it's a challenge, obviously, because teams play in different ways. 
So you could come up against a team that plays in a similar way to you, and that might lead to a bit of a deadlock. Mm-hmm. Or you'll come up against a team that plays completely different to you do, which will cause different challenges to you defensively, but also open up different opportunities for you offensively that you maybe wouldn't have against a team in a similar setup. So, you know, there is different ways that you can tactically sort of formulate your team and set your teams up. And there is differences between each player. Like, for, for example, because I'm one of the older players, um, because I'm who played before the game was at the advanced stage that it is now, I have a different style just to some of the younger guys coming through that are learning in a different way, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So, yeah, there is different quirks, different strengths that each player has. And I, I like to think when I look at my own club and, I, and the international setup as well, I like to think that we've got a good mix of players that can do different things, but also players who are capable of carrying out their, each role and their own role effectively. So I think for me, that's a good makeup of what makes a, a good part of your team. No, completely, completely understand that and, and similarities in mainstream football, I guess, in, in, in that respect, but especially, I, can't, I guess you have to be more, more versatile in your sport because uh, the, the lower number of players and kind of the need to fill in and in different yeah. positions when you need to. Yeah, no, it's, and it's interesting sort of the different tactical quirks there. Um, I'm looking forward to, to when I'm watching the games next week and, and in the future to, to kind of keep an eye out for that and see the different styles. And I think that'll be very interesting as well, especially in smaller, um, smaller size court. And it was yeah. interesting you, you made the, the link to kind of basketball. And I think I always remember the story as well from uh, even back in the day, um, I think it was in the 1980s when, or in the 90s when Graham Souness managed Liverpool, obviously talking about mainstream football. It was, yeah. it was revolutionary in the way that he actually used netball to kind of... Um, yeah, yeah talk about uh, finding space and making angles and, and, and things like that. And to see that yeah. sort of just so um, you know, throughout sport now is, is so interesting, the links between the two. But let's talk a little bit about the World Cup then. First of all, congratulations. Obviously, you've qualified for that. Um, a little bit of a wait uh, because you qualified in, in 2019. World Cup was supposed to be last October, I believe, in, in Sydney in Australia. Obviously, it was moved to this October, which I believe it's been postponed again now until the October of 2023. So they're making you wait for it, but um, I guess just the anticipation and the build-up for that must be must be just so exciting. So you, you qualified for it, first of all. An interesting little thing, the qualification for the World Cup is, is through the equivalent of the European Championships, um, if my research and my reading is correct. And, yeah. um, and, and certainly, first of all, uh, beating Finland, who were the host, uh, host, nations of, uh, host nation of the European Championships to qualify for the World Cup, um, I mean, I mentioned in, in the pre-pod that it's, it's shades of, of Jerry Armstrong in 1982 in, in the sense that we had to win that game, <laughs> beat the host nation, um, and we won that 1-0. You guys won that game 1-0 in Finland uh, to qualify for the World Cup, but you've actually gone one further than, than Jerry Armstrong in the 1982 sides because you actually beat them twice in that tournament, didn't you? So uh, yeah. talk about how, how good a feeling that was and, and how much of an underdog story is that. We know it's, it's always an underdog story when a known Ireland side qualifies for World Cup, but for you guys, um, guys and girls, having only formed kind of in 2010 when the, the sport has been around for longer than that. It's, it's an even bigger underdog story, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I think it, in terms of the European Championships three years ago, it was, I think the goals with that at the beginning were really to go and to see, obviously see where we're at, but to use it as an experience to learn and to grow. I don't think there was ever a, like, a, like a goal at the very top to say, you know, we are going to qualify for the World Cup. Yeah. I don't think that was I don't think that was the main objective. But obviously, if we could have achieved that, you know, beforehand, we would have taken it, of course. 
But I think the main objective at that stage was to try and build build a unit together and to build experience because that was our first at that stage, that was our first um the proper elite international standard tournament. So you know, as a team, we had played some different smaller tournaments previously, but uh, this was our first, you know, proper like senior football elite level tournament. So it gave us a good benchmark as to where we're at. And we played the opening game of that tournament against the hosts Finland, which I think the majority of the people there that weren't to do with us or weren't Northern Irish wanted the Finnish to win because, you know, they're the hosts and, you know, it was one of their first games at this level too. Yeah. So the fact that we were able to go out and quite convincingly win the game by three goals to nil, um, one of our players, Patrick, scored a hat-trick in that game. Mm-hmm. And if you see the highlights, we played really well, I personally. I personally feel it was one of the, one of the best games up until uh, then that we had played as a team. Um, to go out, in the opening game of the tournament, in our first ever international tournament to win three 0 against the host nation, was a um was a real high. Um, and I I don't think we expected it. I think we knew we had quality, but I don't think we expected that level of performance. So it was it was really pleasing to see, you know, the work that we had done prior all come together on the court. Um. In the following days, we, we won more games against uh, Austria and we had some a tight game against Denmark. Uh, we were beaten by the Republic of Ireland and by England. Um, but as the tournament progressed with the way the, the, the green stuff worked out, as the last day came along, we had to we had to avoid defeat against Finland in our final game to qualify in fifth place, which was the last uh, World Cup qualifying spot um, for the European zone. So um, I think we, were, we, we weren't as open and expansive as we were in the first game. The football wasn't just as good. It was a bit, bit more nervy, I think. But uh, we came away with a, with a 1-0 win. And um, I think the feeling at the end of that game to have achieved something that I wasn't sure we could at the start. Um, was was uh, was just magnificent, you know. And when I look at it now, from me, from me personally, in terms of achieving something like that with this team to where I've came from, you know, not thinking I was able to play football as a kid, to then saying that I'm an international footballer who's qualified for a World Cup and finished fifth, uh, in theory, as the fifth best best team in in Europe, is, um. Is still something I find difficult to comprehend, <laughs> um, you know. But uh, it's it was a great experience, and it was a great grinding for the team to see where we were at at that stage. And obviously, it was a magnificent achievement for the team to qualify for the World Cup um, in Sydney. Um, and I, on a personal level, to represent Northern Ireland, to to play in the, the same kits as the senior men's, senior women's do, to 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 represent my country in that way, to score goals for my country, um, to have a jersey with my name on the back, Northern Ireland jersey with my name on the back, and uh, it, it was it was a very special moment for me to to have those opportunities. And I remember 
I think I've talked about it before. I think when you mentioned like the the BT uh, the BT stuff that we've done, but um, I remember I think it was my might have been my first or my second goal during that tournament. Um, I I scored. It was a set piece that we'd worked on, and I scored. Um, so obviously that's great that we'd worked on something that came off. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I remember going back from the penalty box, going back across the halfway line. And I was just going nuts, you know, because like I've seen I've it, scored, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, like you know yourself, if you score from Northern Ireland, you know yourself, you'd be yeah. going crazy, like. Um, I just remember like seeing up on the stand, like my dad and stuff was there, yeah. and it's just like you know, it was a very emotional moment that I find it very hard to contain. Um, yeah. I had to obviously because we still the rest of the games to play, but um, I think for me, I remember when we qualified for the World Cup at the end of the tournament, I couldn't contain it anymore. All the yeah. stress and all the pressure and uh, and I, I just broke down, yeah. you know, uh, in a positive sense, you know, because the achievement was such a, a magnificent thing and such a huge moment for me personally and for the sport here that I think it just all, just I realised what happened, you know, and to, to have those opportunities and to have that, those memories is something I'll never forget. Um, I think we're hoping when the World Cup comes around that we can essentially do the same thing and surprise people. I think, as we've mentioned before, when the, before the podcast started, we were talking about sort of underdog status and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think we like that. I think that's something that uh, I think that's something that Northern Ireland teams across the board, um, whether it be the senior men's, senior women's, or the Parcher squad, you know, I think that suits the country. Um, and I think I think if we can play to our potential, I'm not predicting anything, of course, but if we can play to our potential in the Home Nations and in the World Cup, I think we can surprise people. So uh, fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, it's it's great to be able to say that I'm an Northern Ireland international footballer and, you know, to actually have caps and stuff, like proper caps as well, which is just really cool and I've got the jerseys with my name on them and stuff. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's a momentous thing that I'm very proud of. And I know that my family and my friends and stuff are proud of too. So it's, it's, it's a nice thing, you know. No, yeah, it's completely, it's, it's, it's an amazing achievement. And if, if anyone, by the way, while it's in the head, it's completely unrelated to this, but um, if anyone kind of wants to get an idea of, of, of Jason's skill, um, in the parcher or the wheelchair, just watch the, um, I think it was a, a three or four minute IFA uh, clip in the social media um, where you're at the Hungary game and you're filming, basically you're, you're, you're in the East stand um, behind the, behind the goal and you're filming that you're, you're, you know, filming while the game's going on. And yeah. it, it must've been at a, a point you were filming because you were turned around and it just shows, I think it's Niall McGinn has a chance. And yeah. you heard the crowd, um, sort of lift the crescendo yeah, yeah. of the crowd and uh, the, well, honest to God, the speed with which you, you turned that thing around to, to get to see the chance in the end was, <laughs> it, it was phenomenal. And, you know, of course, I'm sure you were worried about, about missing a goal that night and the amount of chances we had that night as well. You, yeah, it probably wasn't, probably wasn't the best night to be filming, but it, again, yeah. brilliant. brilliant no, well, as, much as, I, as much as I wanted to remain professional, when I thought there was going to be a goal behind <laughs> my back, I had to turn around. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah. Know, but, yeah very quick edit no very good very good um we're running out of time here a little bit i was gonna i was gonna have a chat with you about the um the the, the mainstream men's northern ireland team as well because i know you're a, you're a massive supporter and yes a big supporter of the podcast which which i massively appreciate as well yep. but um i think we're probably not gonna have the time to talk about that really um what we'll do we'll just get you on for one of the one of the previews or okay. uh, a post-match reaction if you're if you're up for that um yeah of course i will i would be up for that yeah absolutely. yeah 100 we'll, we'll do that for one of the nations league games then i'll make a note of that but um mm-hmm. I, I want to talk a little bit about the um well i was go- i was going to come on to talk about your role as the, as a disabilities officer in a bit a little bit more detail but i think that that we could even do a separate podcast on that sometime i think um if you'd be up for coming back on because i think it yeah, kind of, of deserves its own podcast in itself and i wouldn't want to rush it but um yeah we'll, we'll, we'll kind of finish off by talking about the the home nations tournament that that's coming up next week and uh, do you want to give a, a few more details on um on you know when it is, um, it's, I think it's being played in Newton Ard, so with the with the host host nation of the of of the home nations in in, the, in this tournament, which I'm sure is, ex- is exciting in itself. Probably the first time that's happened. And so when is that? When are the games? Who are we playing? Um, what's kind of the format of the competition? And, and how can people watch? Or even is it possible that people can attend at this point? Or yeah, so basically the, there was two. There was actually two tournaments. So. There's the senior tournaments, which is this weekend. So that's the one that I'll be playing in with the senior team. Mm-hmm. And there, last month in April, there was the development squad as well. So that both tournaments are of a very similar format. Uh, the development squad finished second, so they, they got to the final. And unfortunately, we're beaten by England in the final. But again, the development squad is was for players, either younger players that are eligible for the senior team yet, or for players that maybe just are on the cusp of the senior team, but just haven't quite made that next step yet. Mm-hmm. So that was a great opportunity for them, obviously, to showcase their holiday. And the fact that they finished second, you know, was a, was a momentous achievement. Something I'm very proud of when I look at when I look at those guys and girls that played in that tournament. Um, and the fact that again, from a if, if from a very partisan point of view, um, the fact that there was three or four players in that that were from my club as well, which was really nice to see, you know, the, the progress that those guys and girls have made. Um, so that was in April. Uh, that was in Newton Orange, as you said. It was the same sort of format as this tournament coming up. So this tournament will be the senior team. Um, it'll be in Newton Orange, uh, Blair Main Leisure Centre. Um, it's the 7th and 8th of May. So that's this Saturday and Sunday. Um Basically, the format is there's four teams. So there's ourselves, England, Scotland, Scotland, and the Republic of Ireland. And so basically, those four teams will be competing for a, a first and second game and a third and fourth game. If that makes sense at the end of the tournament. So we'll play each other, each play each other once. And then there'll be a, a table of, you know, four, four teams. Whoever, whoever's the top two of those goes into the final. And here was the, the bottom two goes into the third and fourth playoff mm-hmm. and to decide, um, you know, the positions. So it's the same sort of format as the development tournament. That was the same. So we're playing Scotland first on Saturday morning. That's, uh, I think it's just after 10 a.m. on Saturday morning. And then we are playing England in the afternoon. Um, and then we play Ireland on the Sunday morning. And then after that will be the, the, the two deciding games, you know, to decide the positions. Mm-hmm. So those games are, are able to be attended by anyone. So 
if if you feel like you want to come down and watch, that there's there's seating and stuff available for a couple of hundred people at least. So, um, you know, f- feel free to come down. And if you can't make it to that, then um, it's being streamed on the European Parcher Football Association's uh, Facebook feeds and their YouTube channel. So uh, I think, as I said to Andy, that I'm going to send the links to you as well for those. So when you see this podcast, I'm sure the links and stuff will be attached yeah. to those if you want to watch those streams and whatnot. But um, we encourage any sort of support that the, that the, the loyal gala wants to give us. And um, yeah, I think it's it'll be great to have a crowd there. It'll be great. Obviously, as we're the home, home nation as well. So um, I think it's a good opportunity for anyone to, to get an insight to the elite level of, of our sport. And yeah, like I say, any support that we can get is more than appreciated. Um, I mean, we've I've seen the the growth in support for the women's team, for example, has been fantastic. You know, and if we could even replicate a tiny percentage of something like that, you know, um, it would mean the world to myself and to the players. You know, it would, it would mean everything because in the past we've played games where it's only been our family or you know watching and stuff. Yeah. So to have people that are actually wanting to see what's going on, to watch it, even on the streams, like not just in person, but even people engaging with streams and stuff is something that it would mean a lot to all of us. So any support, any any well wishes, anything that you can give us uh, will really push us on. And I know that it means everything to, everything to the players. So, um, yeah, uh, I guess it's uh, thanks to you as well, Andy, for having me on to talk about this because... Um, the more people that we can get to engage with our sport and to engage with the Northern Ireland team and with our clubs as well, um, it can only be a good thing for the sport. So uh, I just want to say as well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I would love to engage with you again in the future. No, yeah, no, thank you very much. No problem at all. And I've, I've, I've really enjoyed the chat. Um, it's been it's been intriguing. As I say there, you know, I, I had a set of questions written down and uh, I've had to skip out some of them because, the, you know, your first couple of answers, I just thought of five or six questions just off the back of those, which was just in itself shows how much I've learned from it. And I'm sure um, our listeners have, have, have learned a lot from it too. So I'll, I'll get this up as soon as I can. And um, and hopefully we can we can get you guys uh, well we can we can contribute to a, a little bit of the 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 large support that I'm sure will be there uh, on Saturday and Sunday and, you know for myself as somebody living over in, in England myself yep. um you know I, I'm certainly going to be tuning into those streams and I'm sure as well just that uh, especially with I think at club level you're playing in an All Ireland league I believe that's correct so you know yeah, no, right. Northern Ireland against the Republic of Ireland. Anyway, anywhere is always going to be a, a, a tasty game, but I'm sure yeah. with, with you playing against some of those players um, week in, week out in the, yeah. in the club level, I'm sure you'll, you'd really we, have uh, to. We know them quite well, yeah, so it'll be, um, it'll be interesting. Um, yeah, but it's, it's just, uh, it's great to see the sport growing. You know, it's great to see the progress that the sport's made and hopefully we can, we can do that proud at the weekend. You know, I, I know that the development team very much did. You know, the development team really yeah, showed... Set, set the bar for you, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, they showed the young, younger talent that we have coming through the system. And, you know, uh, it's up to us now to match that uh, or exceed that if we can, you know. So, um, fingers crossed that we can do. And like I say, the support that we have um, from everyone... Um, means the world to me and means the world to us so um yeah i, I look forward to playing and i look forward to, to showing off the sport to as many people as possible 
Amazing, amazing. Well, I will, as you say, put those links in the description uh, below this on the podcast. I'll tweet those out as well and on the Facebook uh, on the day. Um, so make sure you do tune into that. Go down if you can, give the boys and, and, and girls a little bit of support there. Um, and hopefully we can get a, a similarly positive result to, to what the developmental squad uh, came away with last month. But yeah, Jason, we're wrapping up there. We've done nearly an hour. Um, I didn't expect it to be this long, but it's, it's kind of just transpired into a, a longer podcast. But it's been really interesting. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. It's been a pleasure, mate. Yeah, well, I have, a, I have a reputation for being able to talk quite a bit. So, like, you know, it's, um, yeah, I seem to have lived up, lived up to that here, considering you just skip out a few questions. <laughs> no, yeah, mate, but listen, me, if, if, there's you know. a, if there's anywhere, if there's anywhere for a place for us, uh, us motor mice, it's a, it's a podcast and certainly this podcast <laughs> as well. If you've listened to the episodes, we can, you can talk for five or six minutes at, at, at once on this podcast and that's just what we do. But no, perfect. We'll wrap it up there. Uh, thank you very much. So you do tune into that on Saturday and Sunday. Get down if you can. Um, and good luck to the boys and girls. All the best. See you next time. Bye-bye.